Hello and welcome to another episode of In the Narthex. My name is Alyssa Gubrell and I'm here today with Pastor Jeff Thune and Pastor Lucas Hattenberger of Northwest Bible Church. Every other week we sit down to discuss how the gospel of Jesus Christ speaks to the questions and conversations of today. And today we are talking about the Lord's Supper. And first off, if my voice sounds kind of funky, I am getting over COVID, woohoo, <laughs> doing my best to not pass it on to our pastors here. Um, so I get to wear a mask. So yes. yeah. But so today we're talking about the Lord's Supper. Um, and why are we doing this podcast today? Let me answer that by quoting someone who's written a lot about this. And I think that gives us kind of a, a reason a particular reason why I would say we're having the conversation. Um, his name is Robert Latham. He's written a number of books, but one called The Lord's Supper, Eternal Word in Broken Bread. He comments and says this, Yet today, the communion hardly features as a matter of significance. It is seen as an optional extra. Often it is treated casually as a pleasant and cozy ceremony. Some argue against churches holding it frequently on the basis that familiarity breeds contempt. In part, at least, this is due to the long-term effect of the 18th century revivals and the birth of evangelicalism. He's not saying that was a bad thing, but this is part of the effect. These were a reaction against a decaying church. In turn, a Christian became defined as someone who could lay claim to a definite personal experience in conversion. Therefore, he says, the immediate work of the Holy Spirit on the individual soul was thrust onto center stage and the church and sacraments were relegated to secondary importance. Not only this, but often they were seen to divide people who shared the same direct experience of the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. All this took place while a seismic shift occurred in Western culture toward the individual. Corporate activities and structure came to be seen as having a dampening influence on vital, individual, personal experience. So you kind of kind of hear what he's saying there. Um, and I, I guess to sort of summarize, apparently the Christian church as a whole has been neglectful, and I would say so have we as Northwest Bible Church, of something that Jesus himself instituted and told us should be regularly practiced. That is his supper that he presides over, that he instituted. And so I guess the, the why behind this particular conversation and podcast is just, hey, we want to recognize that, that we might have been neglectful and not teaching more about this, talking about it more, drawing clear lines as to what we're doing as we step into it, um, uh, reverse sort of the course of, of any neglect that may have been, um, yeah, contributed to, to that. So, yeah, I think it's a great opportunity just to kind of get to go back to basics and talk about like what is this? Why are we doing this? this and it's a really important thing to have the why behind. Absolutely, we need to yeah. know that. Yeah. So, where then is the best place to begin? Um, <clears throat> I think with that Latham quote. Um, what he does highlight is some misunderstandings of, of the Lord's Supper. So maybe it would be best to start with misunderstandings yeah. of what, not simply the Lord's Supper, but sacraments in general are. Mm. And, you know, Latham, I think rightly, he goes back to uh, the revivals um, and uh, the immediate experience of the Holy Spirit. Um, I want to go back just, just a little bit further because it, it, it probably, we can probably even trace it um, beyond that. But I just want to quote from, um, this is the Anglican Reformation. It had a, a confessional document called the 39 Articles. And it, it's defining the sacraments. And this is probably, um, this is most helpful for me. So I thought I might uh, quote this as well for others. So 39 Articles, paragraph 25 says that sacraments 
ordained of Christ be not only badges or tokens of Christians, Christian men's profession, but rather they are certain sure witnesses and effectual signs of grace and God's goodwill toward us, by which he doth... <laughs> love it. Uh, I'm going to say that one, one Sunday. God doth love thee. Um, by which he doth work invisibly in us, and doth not only quicken, but also strengthen and confirm our faith in him. Mm. So we'll get to the, the um, and you're going to expound more on this later. The, the, um, but I just want to look at just the, the, that first little part of it. Sacraments are not only badges or tokens of Christian men's profession. Yeah. And what, what does that mean? Well, there's a common understanding in evangelical faith today, piety today, um, that that the sacraments are tokens or badges or to make it more plain expressions of our personal faith in Jesus Christ yeah. and so one one very common one is is um, you know I, I see shirts all the time and, and i don't i don 't want to be nitpicky or anything, but you know sometimes when people get baptized they 'll wear a shirt that says something like you know going public or something like that mm. um, this is my Profession. This is my thing that I'm doing to express my faith. It's I'm doing this to show God that I love him. I'm doing this to show other people what God has already done. Mm. And what they're doing with that, with that, just with that very small phrase, uh, is, is they're, they're saying, this is something that I do. Right, right. The sacraments are something that, not that God does, but that I do. Um, it's my personal piety. It's something that I express. And, um, and so, therefore, it's a badge, it's a token, it's something to show forth my faith. Now, um, where, where did we get this understanding of the sacraments? I just want to, so I think, I, f- I feel like that Latham quote is, is good enough, but I, I do want to back up just a little bit, just to look at um, the Reformation in general. So what, what was the Reformation? What was a reaction to the Roman Catholic Church and the issues that it had? One of the issues that it had was, uh, we, we, they, they, had, they had this view of the sacraments, um, and uh, uh, we, we might call it a, a magical view of the sacraments, that so long as I'm baptized, it doesn't matter what I do with my life after that. Um, it doesn't matter what I... It, it, hey, as long as the priest has put water on my head, I'm saved. I'm good. Right, right. right? Um, or with uh, communion, it's like, I, it doesn't matter what I did five minutes before. If I just take this wafer, I'm, I'm eating Jesus. I'm getting grace. I'm getting, right. and, and so it's just this, this uh, whether, it's, whether it's explicitly stated or not, it, there's this sort of implicit understanding that um, it doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't matter if I have a relationship with Jesus. If I just go to Mass, yeah. I'm good. Yeah. I'm, I'm checking off the boxes. And uh, you, you might have talked to, to people who, who believe this and, and be like, well, no, you have to believe, you have to follow Jesus, you have to believe in him. And, and so there was this understanding of the sacraments that's like, well, it's just, it just automatically saves you, I'm, I'm done. And so the, the Reformation came in and said, well, no, salvation is not about this sort of mindless participation in the sacraments. You just go one to the next to the other. You know, you, you have this whole like baptism, confirmation, you know. Yeah. Um, no, you actually have to have a heart that loves Jesus. You have to follow after Christ. You have to believe in the saving work of Christ. Um, and, and therefore, the, the sacraments don't save you. It's, it's this relationship that you have with God, this very personal relationship. And, um, and then we might go to the, the Robert Lethem quote that just says, but yeah, it's, it's about my personal experience of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, the sacraments don't do anything at all. Mm. Right, mm. that's kind of the next, the next step, and um, what I what I would just say is that while the reformers were critiquing the Roman Catholic understanding of the sacraments as sort of this automatically saving thing, mm. the next step that Latham t- uh, describes is therefore the sacraments don't do anything; um, they're not a work of God. They're they're something that I do to show forth what what. What I would say is, well, that's one step too far. Yeah. The pendulum swung a little too far yeah, the, the opposite way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so what we want to do in this podcast is, is just to say, yes, baptism is a prof- – it, is, it, is, it does function in that way. But not, not – I, w- I wouldn't even say primarily. And, and the Lord's Supper does function in the way where I'm, I'm reminding myself by taking this, I'm 
reminding myself of all that Jesus has done. It's, it, I, I'm uh, meditating on it. I'm thinking about it. It's stuff that I do. What I would just say is um, we, we need to take the pendulum from, from, you know, we've swung all the way the other way, and we need to find a, a better middle way mm. um, where, where we see the sacraments not simply as things that we do for others to show things or for God, but, but we take the sacraments understanding that God is, in fact, in some way ministering to us. Sure, sure. Um, and so what, what I just want to suggest from the get-go here is that it's sort of a paradigm change mm. where we, we want to affirm, yes, the, the need for personal faith. We want to affirm that you have to have a relationship with Christ in order to be saved. And yet at the same time, uh, biblically speaking, theologically speaking, the sacraments are something that God does for us and to us. Mm. And we'll describe what that means in a second. Mm. But that's kind of what we're going into this podcast saying is the Lord's Supper is something that properly that God does for us to minister to our hearts, to um, to grow us up in grace, uh, to engage us. And it's not like the Roman Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation, but it is something that the, the Reformed Church called it a means of grace. Mm. It's means by which God is engaging us and sanctifying us and making us more like Jesus. Mm. Um, and so what I want to do is I just want to take this typical, like, um, I'm, I'm, I'm coming out and being, and I'm going to flip it on his head and, and just say, God is actually engaging you. And this is why something like the Lord's Supper is so important. Yeah. So I don't know if you uh, want to add some more to that. Yeah, no, I think that's really good. I, I would say, too, like, even in saying that, you're saying to anyone listening who maybe has approached baptism or the Lord's Supper that way, hey, that's not necessarily wrong, slap your wrist, shame on you. Yes. It's more of a, hey, let's, um, let's fill that out a little fuller and go back to maybe this, this middle way. And when you're talking about this paradigm shift, if your mind and heart is able to make that shift, um, as we describe it to you, the means of grace, God being the primary actor in these things, him communicating, engaging with you, calling you into a deeper worship of him. Oh, man, there's, there's so much more significance. Um, there's, a, they, there's a fullness that maybe is lacking there. If it's just me bringing my own profession of faith, my own profession of following Christ and I feel like, hey, this is me communicating to myself and also to God. Look, I'm, I do believe this. All of that's good. just want to fill it out a little bit more. I think one author that's been particularly helpful for me in this is a guy by the name of James K.A. Smith. I uh, would commend any of our listeners um, to his work. He has one particular book called You Are What You Love. And let me just kind of read a, a couple... Um, yeah, just a couple in, you know, particular things that he says here. But Lucas, it's exactly what you've already described. But, but he says, when we tacitly assume that we are the primary actors in worship, then we also assume that worship is basically an expressive endeavor. This is why we now constrict worship, quote, to the song service of our gathering the time in the service when we can express ourselves. We think of worship primarily in a bottom-up framework as a way for us to express our praise and show our devotion, as if worship gathers us to perform for God as our proverbial audience of one. Now, what he'll go on to say is that that actually can... Um, in some ways, turn in on itself and and make us, um, though sincere, though wanting to be authentic, um, though wanting to be fresh and genuine and honest about our expression, can lead us into novelty. Like, okay, we have to figure out new ways to do that. We have to figure out new ways to say that, to practice that, to express ourselves. Mm. Because doing the same thing over and over again yeah. doesn't seem to to feel authentic, yeah. doesn't feel novel. He goes on to say, but 
the practices of historic Christian worship are not just old, traditional ways that Christians gathered around word and table. No, no, no. They are rooted in a fundamentally different understanding of what worship is, a fundamentally different paradigm of the primary agent of Christian worship. That's what you're saying. Instead of bottom-up emphasis on worship as our expression of devotion and praise, historic Christian worship is rooted in the conviction that God is the primary actor or agent in the worship encounter. Worship works from the top down, you might say. In worship, we don't just come to show God our devotion and give him our praise. All those are good things. No, no, no. We are called to worship because in this encounter, God remakes and molds us top down. Worship is therefore the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts, reforms our desires, and rehabituates our loves. Worship isn't something we do. It is where God does something to us. Worship is the heart of discipleship because it is the gymnasium in which God retrains our hearts. I think that's really provocative to think about. Um, Sorry, my voice is going out on me here. But I think it's really (coughs) provocative to think about. And I love how he kind of synthesizes what you um, were just saying. And again, um, has thought a lot about this. And I think that paradigm shift, again, it's not the, the, the paradigm before was wrong, it's just, oh man, now as I come in to know, hey, I, I didn't, it wasn't primarily me that got up this morning and that said, hey, okay, I'm going to make this decision and get my nice clothes on and come into to church and give my praises to God and, and you know, approach the Lord's table um, because I need to remember this myself. See, Lord, I'm remembering it. I'm memorializing your, your death. Um, but to think about it, no, actually God's calling me into that, has set the table for me. Um, man, I, I think that's a much um, richer, fuller, more biblical way to think about the sacraments. Well, I, I you know, I, I just listened to the, for some reason, I don't know why I was bored yesterday, but I listened to the Theology of the Gathering, our very first podcast. And uh, what you're saying you know, from, from Jamie Smith is just like, it's, it's, it's reminding me again, we were talking about there's explicit things mm-hmm. that happen in worship. And then there's these implicit molding and shaping that happen without us even realizing. Mm-hmm. So why do we still confess our sins? Why do we still do this call to worship? Why do we do the benediction? And then why do we do the Lord's supper? Because we are engaging God. It, it is bottom t- top, but it's primarily top-bottom. It's, yeah. it's God utilizing these, and this is what we're going to talk about in a second, the means of grace, these right. tangible practices that God himself uses. And, in fact, the um, Reformed um, confessions talk about worship in, uh, as a dialogical um, tool where hmm. God and his people speak. Hmm. Right? So it's God speaks to us, and then we speak back, and... Um, and that's why, you know, a lot of these liturgies that we look at are <clears throat> responsive liturgies because we're, we're, there's this implicit sort of teaching about how to speak to God yeah. and uh, how to relate to God. So I, I think, but I, I, I love that book. So and when you just think about, isn't that kind of the biblical shape of everything? Yeah. It's like God um, initiating us responding, mm. you know? Yeah. And so if that's true in salvation in our justification why would it not also be true in our formation and sanctification so i think to just um yes it's not that we're not responding Mm -hmm. it's just that he's the one initiating and so to to consider that oh what a freeing incredible thing as i come into um corporate worship to know he's he's drawn me into that Mm -hmm. he's called me into that he's setting the table for me to, to worship in, in all these various ways. As you guys were talking, I was thinking simultaneously, like there's so much freedom in that Mm. and that like, it's not on us to like do it right. So Mm. that God gives us something like there's so much freedom in that it's God acting on us, but it's also so important. Yeah. (laughs) Like, 
I, I feel sober minded as I think about that. Mm. Like this is really important. If this is God acting on us, right. like right. that's a big deal. Right. Um, right. So yeah, like there's there's so much freedom there, but it's also like a responsibility. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so how does this even work then? What does mm. this look like for for God to be working um, on us? What what does that look like? Yeah, so I think it might be helpful before we look at um, this, we're going to use this term over and over, the means of grace, Mm -hmm. and we'll define it over, I'm sure, um, maybe um, when we get to the Westminster, your part. But I think a bigger picture, how how do we get out of the pendulum swinging back and forth between Roman Catholic, you know, (laughs) sacramentalism to... Um, 18th century revivalism. How do we how do we find a way forward? And one way to, that we might find a way forward forward is just by thinking about um, sacramentality in general. Mm. So, hmm. by, by by sacramentality, all, all I mean is so sacrament just means a holy thing, a physical thing that God uses to engage human beings. Right. So so just um, from from a um, from a from a big kind of thousand-foot view, all, all of us who are Christians who believe in the Scriptures, we know that Psalm 19, Romans 1, we know that in some sense, creation itself, the very physical stuff of creation, uh, is a medium through which God engages us. Mm-hmm. Right? So Paul talks about in Romans 1 that even the pagan knows some of God's attributes mm-hmm. and His holiness through creation, which means that God is in some way mediating Himself mm-hmm through um, just just the act of creating. There's something embedded in creation. And so if you go out on a walk um, in, uh, you know, uh, on Sabino Canyon or, or uh, Canalina or whatever, and you see the, the grandeur of nature and you say, oh, God, you're so wonderful, uh, that, that's a sacramental experience. God mm-hmm. is in some mm-hmm. way using creation to, to work on you and to minister to you. Mm-hmm. So, so that's one way of thinking it. Um, uh, another another way of, of of thinking about sacramentality in general is you know this this passage in First John where at the very beginning he says the the word um, uh, that that was in the beginning that he talks about in the gospel he says that we have seen him and we have touched him with our hands. Mm, mm. Let me just read it. Oh, yeah. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and that which was from the beginning, right? The, right. The second person of the Godhead right. is now being mediated to us mm. through his human nature. Mm-hmm. So you can touch God. Mm. Uh, we can say theologically correctly that God died. Mm. Now, there's a way of parsing all that out. Or we could say that God was born mm. uh, through Mary. All that is very sacramental because what's happening is God's being mediated through this physical experience of Jesus's humanity. Sure. And um, in fact, the church, I mean, historically as uh, the Epiphany, Epiphany Sunday is after Christmas. It's when we celebrate that Jesus, we, we can, with the wise men, we can touch him. We can, uh, we can hold, they could have held God, you know, that, mm. that sort of thing. Mm. Um, we might even think about uh, preaching in the Bible, that God in some way mediates his grace through a preacher. Mm. You know, where you say, I was saved through X sermon. Mm. This sermon just really hit, and God just opened my eyes. Okay, well, what you're saying is through the physical use of a person, uh, hopefully utilizing, you know, time throughout the week to craft a sermon, that God is reaching out and ministering to you through another human being, through vocal cords, all mm. that sort of stuff. Um, fellowship, Christian fellowship. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I meet with Chris Gubril on a weekly basis, and, and he, I, I experience more of Jesus through talking with him. Right, right. I mean, there, what's, what's more sacramental than that? So, so what all of this is, what we mean when we say that God... <coughs> Give is the primary actors. We're just saying God uses this worldly physical stuff mm. to to minister to us, to um, uh, to to give more grace to us. And the common Reformed con- confessional categories is is word and sacrament. Some other confessions say prayer. Word and sacrament. God gives His Holy Spirit, His grace, His Son through these means. Uh, not in a magical way, not in the 
the way of like what we might think of transubstantiation, but just through through these different avenues, God works on mm. us and mm. develops us and makes us more like makes us more like Jesus. Mm. And so, one way I like to think about it, just before uh, we close this point, is you know <clears throat> it's interesting that the the phrase hocus pocus mm. actually came from the Latin mass. When the priests were uh, saying the words of uh, institution in Latin, it was hocus ec, ec corpus, I think is what mm. it was, hocus ex corpus. The people didn't know Latin at all. And they said, oh, he's, he's <coughs> saying a magical incantation over the elements. <laughs> it's hocus pocus. Uh, uh. And, and Jesus is magically appearing there. Right. Well, <clears throat> that's a magical view. What we're trying to say is mystically, um, experientially, we experience God through these different physical means of mm. grace. Mm. And God utilizes, through his sovereign acting, he utilizes these ways to give us more of himself through them. Mm. Mm. So, uh, yeah, so mag- it's mystical, not magical. It's experiential. Mm. Um, anything you want to add there, Jeff? Well, I was thinking as you were describing that, um, Colossians 1, where Paul says that, all things were created through him and for him. Now, if you, yeah, you just kind of think about that. All things were created through Christ and for Christ. Even these ordinary means, you're saying, that um, lead to accomplishing, accomplishing these spiritual ends, these supernatural ends, right? So you think of something like bread, <laughs> God created bread, um, or to take from Colossians 1 and this whole idea of sacramentality. It's a good thing. God created that so that when Jesus um, came into the flesh and started his, his public ministry, um, he could describe himself as the bread of life, right? And everybody would know, oh, Bread, this ordinary thing that we partake in every day, this staple that nourishes us and feeds us and gives us life, um, that was for Jesus so that he could take that ordinary means and go, hey, actually the more significant supernatural spiritual um, end to this is that that's me. I satisfy. I nourish. I'm the staple by which you... um, gain life, you know? So I think, um, yeah, I think just considering even in that, um, a lot of these ordinary means, these material means were created for Jesus to take and to, to move us to more spiritual significance, supernatural ends that God, um, accomplishes through them. So I think that's really, yeah, I think that's really helpful just to think through, those sacraments in that way. Um, So then specifically, what is happening when we participate in the Lord's Supper? Yeah, so now that we've given you kind of a a 10,000-foot, 1,000-foot sort of um, overview of of a sacramentality, um, what's really happening? When we go to the table, um, we do this every single Sunday. Um, It's sort of, uh, I, I guess lands the plane, so to speak. It, it, it's the, the final way that we worship, that we celebrate the gospel, that we have the gospel applied to our hearts and lives, um, eyes and ears, minds. Um, one really helpful word on this for me has been the Westminster Confession of Faith. For those of you who are not church historians, this was a confession that a bunch of Puritan pastors wrote in uh, it was like 1642 or something like that. But basically the, the Church of England was um, fairly corrupt at that point. And so um, there was this group of you know faithful pastors who came together and said, okay, what, what are... What are we going to be about? What, what is our confession? What are we holding to? And this is specifically what they say about the Lord's Supper. I think it's really helpful in terms of answering that question of Alyssa, Alyssa, of what's really happening when we participate. So we'll tease this out a little bit, but 
Let me read it to you first, and then we'll tease it out. Um, This is the Westminster Confession uh, 29.1. It says, Our Lord Jesus, in the night wherein he was betrayed, instituted the sacrament of his body and blood, called the Lord's Supper, to be observed in his church unto the end of the world. And then here's these things. For the perpetual remembrance of the sacrifice of himself and his death, the sealing all benefits thereof unto true believers, their spiritual nourishment and growth in him, their further engagement in and to all duties which they own unto him, and to be a bond and pledge of their communion with him and with each other as members of his mystical body. So, Lucas loves that mystical (laughs) word. We've already described that a little bit. Don't get freaked out by that. But you can see they tease out five specific things. So what's happening? Well, first of all, it's a permanent memorial of Christ's sacrificial death. Most evangelicals understand this. Most of us, this is what we grew up in, kind of this memorialist um, paradigm. Um, Okay, so as I see the, the bread, it's symbolizing Christ's body. As I see um, his the, the cup, it's symbolizing his blood. I'm, you know, Paul talks about in the, the word of institution, like let this be a, a memorial, a reminder of Christ's death until he comes. Okay, so a permanent memorial of Christ's sacrificial death. Most of us understand that. Secondly, they say it is a sealing of all the benefits thereof unto true believers. So in the, in the 1640s, a seal was something that, listen to this now, it authenticated or confirmed something. So what's happening is God is affirming the benefits of what Christ has done and assuring us as true believers of their truth and reality. And you just think about that. That's okay. So God's the primary actor. That's, I mean, he's, you're coming to the table. He's affirming to you the benefits of what Christ has done. He's assuring you that this is true. This has actually happened. Number three, they say it is spiritually nourishing and growing us up in Christ. Spiritually nourishing and growing us up. So as we talked about bread, just as physical feeding sustains our physical body, so the Lord's Supper sustains us spiritually. It feeds us. It nourishes us. It confirms. It, you know, grows us up. Um, Fourth, it engages true believers in and to all duties which they owe unto him. So what we're saying there, what I guess the, the, the writers of this confession are saying is that on the one hand, we see that, um, hey, Christ's love for us in this, we're compelled by Christ's love, oh, that he would, he would do this, that he would lay down his life. That, um, but at the same time, it's eliciting a response on our part given by the Holy Spirit of thankful love and willing obedience. Um, and, and we'll talk a little bit about this. I, I, I think, Alyssa, you've mentioned this in the past. Um, but the way that we do communion, um, the way that we celebrate, practice the Lord's Supper at Northwest is everybody kind of gets up from their seats and walks forward um, to the Lord's table and and as we do this and this kind of also describes it there's a part of this that describes the next uh, the final fifth thing that's happening as we do this but um part of that is is i'm I'm so so compelled by christ's love but as i leave the table as i take these elements it's also feeding me nourishing me for this week to go out and um to live accordingly to to obey Christ because he's, um, he's my good savior. He has the path of life. I want to follow him on that. Lastly, um, it is a, a bond and pledge of true believers' communion with Christ as well as with each other. So um, s- same sort of idea here. And Lucas, I, I was thinking but back to um, when, around the time we did the first podcast and and also you had preached on Colossians 3, and you think about, okay, so as we get up from our seats, 
We go to the Lord's table. We look over. We see our brothers and sisters doing the same thing. Um, we're reminded, and, and you had taught from Colossians 3, where it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and even through coming to the Lord's table. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm being taught, I'm being admonished by other believers. Like, hey, this is what we believe in. Hey, this is what Christ did for us. Hey, we're all kind of um, joined together as the body of Christ. He's fitted and formed us together. He's doing that through his Holy Spirit. He's building us into a holy temple for God. And so there's something really, yeah, really significant about the bond and pledge of true believers' communion with Christ as well as with each other. So, um those are things that the Westminster Confession of Faith all draws out. But I would say that's, um, as we answer the question, what's really happening when we participate in the Lord's Supper? It's a permanent memorial. It's sealing all of the benefits um, unto true believers. It's spiritually nourishing and growing us up in Christ. It's in engaging us in, in and to all duties which we owe unto him. And it's a bond and pledge of our communion with Christ as well as our communion with one another. Um, care to comment on any of that um, or draw draw it out a little bit more? Yeah, I, I think that's just all very helpful. I mean, um, one thing I remember from the first podcast we did was was we did the whole liturgy, but it, you know, you can see the logic here. God is nourishing us, and then we're realizing. Uh, the duties that we owe unto Him, mm. and then we w- what happens after the last song is we hear a benediction. We're sent out mm. into the world to be mm. little Christs uh, to the, to the world. Um, but but maybe maybe you're hearing this and, and you're saying and you're like and you're like Lucas and you're like okay, but but how does it really? How does God do that? Yeah. <clears throat> All right. How how does God seal? Um, on, on my heart. How, how does God nourish me? Is, is it that the bread changes? Is that what you're saying? Or is it mm. something else? And so we've already covered this kind of high, low view understanding, which is the pendulum swing. It either does everything where it just doesn't matter what we believe. We could be pagans and take it and we'd be gnawing on Jesus. Mm. Um, or it's the low view where nothing is happening. It's just kind of our activity. Well, he, here's how I, I would like for us to see not I, historically, the Reformed view, the Reformation view, how, how these five things are working out, how God is engaging us in this way. And, and here's just, just um, this is John Calvin's view, which has been received and, and affirmed by uh, a lot of theologians, but his view is called receptionism. And the basic, the basic idea here is that all these things that God is confirming, the benefits, oh my goodness, I'm saved, I'm, I'm, I'm Yours, Christ, he's nourishing me, he's binding us together, he's, he's uh, helping me to know my duties. How is that all happening? Well, it happens conditionally. Mm. Mm. So that's, that's the word that we need to be thinking about. It's, uh, the the um, position is called receptionism, um, but that's not totally clear. But basically what John Calvin said was, we get all these benefits from the Lord's Supper, but only conditionally. Okay, and he, here, here's what I mean. Is the sacraments in all that they represent and symbolize, including baptism, by, by the way, and, and even the Westminster Confession, you can look it up. The Westminster Confession says that baptism does something. Mm. Now, they're not going to go so far as to say that baptism regenerates or something like that, but they're going to say baptism has an effect. Um, but, and, and here's the... Here's the uh, caveat. The caveat. Yes. It has an effect... Through faith. So let's just use the example of a sermon. Jeff could preach until his face was blue that Jesus will save you. Jesus can cover your sins. Jesus, But nothing's going to happen unless you believe it. Mm. And the same thing is true of the sacraments. Baptism. You can be baptized a hundred times over and nothing will happen unless you believe what is represented in the baptism. Mm. But what the Westminster Confession says, and it's all very... We're not covering baptism, but I, I love this part in the Westminster Confession. It says, yeah, baptism has an effect, but not necessarily at the time when you get dunked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it could be if, if, you're, if, uh, if, if you're baptized as a believer, baptism has almost like this, re- this retroactive effect. Mm-hmm. Where, and, and now it's more like confirming your faith. Right. Um, but let's just say if you believe in infant baptism, 
well, you, 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 you baptize this little baby, um, it, it'll have its effect eight, ten years down the road when, the, when this person now says, oh, this is what God is offering to me in Christ. And then, boom, there it is. Well, it's the same with the Lord's Supper. And, and um, even in the Westminster Confession, it says sometimes you take the Lord's Supper and it doesn't have its effect until later on in the day. Mm. Where you, you... So the, the point is that God is engaging. He's, he's offering to you everything that these, sac- these sacraments are symbols, but he's, in, he's offering to you everything that they symbolize, but it must be believed. Mm. It must be received. It's like a gift. Like I can buy something and put it in a, a present and put a pretty bow on it, but if and I, I, let's just say it's for my wife. I try to give it to my wife, and she rejects it. Um, she will she not would get never that. reject she a present <laughs> from She's you. Nice. She's too sweet. Andrea would not do that. <laughs> but don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Christ, through the Lord's Supper, is offered by the Holy Spirit, by God, but it must be subjectively received through faith. Mm. It must be received. And one way to think of this is the Lord's Supper is just another form of the gospel but instead of being preached, it's like a visible sermon. And God is saying, here, here, is, here are, are these signs. Now receive what is uh, symbolized through these signs. Mm. And so, you know, sermons don't save apart from receiving the, the word. Think about the, you know, the parable of the soils. Um, you can sow the seed, but unless you have a, a, the right soil, right? And sacraments do not, they don't do anything apart from receiving the gospel word that is symbolically portrayed. So Jeff was talking about um, Jesus is the true bread from heaven. Well, that's what the Lord's Supper is saying. As, as we re- are receiving that, if, if we say, oh my goodness, yes, Jesus is like this nourishing bread. Well, what's really happening there, right then and there, is the Holy Spirit is nourishing me. He's giving me more of Christ. He's, uh, he's, he's building me up in Christ. Or you can think of... Um, you know, why is baptism so meaningful? Because we see this, you see the symbolism, right? You see the sign, but then you're like, yeah, that's, that happened to me too. Mm, mm. Uh, Jesus washed, I'm, I'm a new creation down in the, uh, you know, uh, a new person has come up out of the waters and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So um, they are, are, are effective, but they're only conditionally effective. And, and that means that we need to come, think about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says that some of you, are unworthily taking the Lord's Supper, and you're getting sick. And um, there's this warning that if you take the Lord's Supper without faith, without believing, um, that, uh, that there's, there's some sort of covenant warning uh, that, that's behind that. Um, and so uh, <clears throat> what, the, what, the, what we're trying to say is the Lord's Supper, God is doing something. And, and we, we are then tasked with receiving that, with, with receiving the gift that God has to give us through, through the bread and the, uh, and the wine or the, the grape juice. So hopefully that might be a, a helpful way to think of it um, in terms of what, how, what is the mechanism in, in the way that God is ministering to us. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. God's the, the primary actor he is communicating um, more of himself um, communicating his um, his grace his love who he is um, and as we receive that gift um, by faith um, we are actually being changed being transformed um, being grown up in Christ. Yeah, and so perhaps we should even read uh, th- this paragraph from the Westminster Confession that, that describes what we're trying to describe. They, they, they were so good at writing this out. But it says that worthy receivers, outwardly partaking of the visible elements, so the bread and the, and the um, juice or the wine, in this sacrament, do then also inwardly by faith. So it makes the distinction between the elements and then the inward faith really and indeed by faith, yet not carnally or corporally, but spiritually, they receive and feed upon Christ crucified in all benefits of his death, the body and blood of Christ being then not corporally or carnally in with or under the bread and wine, yet as really but spiritually present to the faith of believers in that ordinance as the elements themselves are to their outward senses. So 
you're taking the outward elements, but then inwardly by faith, you're feasting on Christ. And so, uh, and you can hear how hard they're working yeah. to distinguish <laughs> that so middle can, road, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, between, you know, transubstantiation and just a purely, you know, um, memorialist sort of perspective. Yeah. So. And, and if you're nerdy, you could hear the, the Lutheran part in there too. Yeah. Yeah. It, the consubstantiation. Not, not yeah. in with and under the, the right. elements. Right. 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 Uh, so, yeah. So then, um, what should be our attitude towards the Lord's Supper? Yeah, I think hopefully um, you can already start to imagine how this would change your perspective, your attitude, your, your coming to the table. I think some common attitudes toward the Lord's Supper is this, it's either all or nothing attitude that Lucas kind of described um, earlier. And, and, and I think because, a lot of times because, um, just evangelicals, man, like, uh, and I'm, I am part of this, okay? Um, what I mean is, like, because the pendulum has swung, like Latham kind of described for us at the beginning, um, we don't want to be on the wrong side where there's this magical thing and, and sacraments, you know, it doesn't matter how I come or how I, you know, is my heart in this? Do I really, am I really expressing a true, genuine, authentic faith as I participate? Um, because we don't want to um, kind of have this auto salvation mentality or paradigm and, and the pendulum has swung, then I think a lot of times we can be nervous or or scared or just like, hey, let's just do this every so often because otherwise, as Latham says, others have said, familiarity breeds contempt. I want it to be so significant. I want it to, and so let's just do it every so often and, and, um, and not run the risk of it becoming rote and ritualistic and just this doesn't really mean anything. And so, and I, I would just say like, and I think we, we did say this on our first podcast, I mean, we we do um, want to persuade our people like it's a good thing to take the Lord's Supper every week um, for the very reasons we're describing here. It's also just a great way to, like Lucas, you had said, it's it's a picture of the gospel, you know? So we're, we're ending um, before we're be, being given this benediction, these good words to go out with, we're ending with this visible sermon that's being preached to us through the, the bread and the cup. And so um, I think the attitude is just, even when I don't like feel it, even when I'm like, um, we've talked about the discipline of just kind of going, hey, I'm, I'm get, gonna get up out of my seat and yeah, my feelings are not meeting me but I know, I believe, I, I see my need um, for God to act upon me, upon my heart, um, to, to see Christ in the elements and um, to see him feeding me and nourishing me and sealing me and um, connecting me with other believers. So I think the attitude is just, Hey, even even when that is a kind of a discipline, it's a good discipline. It's one I want to step into. It's one I want to participate in. It's it's one that man once a week is actually probably pretty appropriate because I need it that much, you know. So, um, what would you add to that? Yeah, I, I mean, so this actually is a good question. So, what happens when I don't feel anything? Mm. Um, and my answer is that I don't necessarily feel anything on any week that we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And part of the reason is just I don't have the time as the worship pastor to to sit down and, and think about it. But every single week what I do pray, I, I pray, it's just a five-second prayer. I just say, hey, God, please feed me with your son. Like, please nourish me. And... And I believe that God honors that prayer every mm. week, mm. Um, regardless of whether, whether whether I feel like it. So um, there are times, though, that I've taken the Lord's Supper and it's been extremely meaningful. But I guess my, there would just be a distinction that I would just make in my head with, 
sometimes um, I don't feel like singing a worship song or I don't feel like listening to a sermon or a, th- that sort of thing. And, and you need to fight through those feelings. You need to, you need to acknowledge them. That's, that happens sometimes. But I also trust that me singing this or, or hearing this is God. God is going to use these things for my good. And mm-hmm. so with the Lord's, it's the same thing with the Lord's Supper. But I would just say specifically the Lord's Supper, this is something that in biblically there's so much in the Bible that would give itself, give, give myself to, to doing this frequently. Mm. Um, and, and so I just feel, uh, uh, I feel a deep conviction that, that, hey, I don't feel it sometimes, that, that's okay, but I'm going to pray and trust that God is going to utilize this means of grace to make me more like Christ. And, and I'm going to trust that. I'm going yeah. to fall, you know. And so um, sometimes... It's not most weeks. That that was an overstatement. But sometimes it's just kind of like I, I'm moving from one song to the next, or this this or that, and um, just a little prayer, that trust that God's working working through this. I think is important. I think that's important too. Like if God is the the main actor and all sovereign and all powerful, um, and has every resource at his disposal to communicate to me his grace, um, then to somehow, um, again, put the focus on my, my own heart, my own feelings, my own um, lack of really feeling compelled in this moment is maybe the wrong perspective to take. And instead it's, hey, I'm still a beggar. <laughs> in need of bread, you know? Um, and so, man, well, sometimes when you don't feel it, that might be even more reason to go, hey. God, help me. Help me. Uh, I think that's totally true. I mean, uh, and and that's, I mean, all the spiritual masters throughout the centuries, when, when you do not feel like praying, that's when you need to pray the most. Mm. Um, so giving yourself to these biblically, you know, why do we call, we also call the Lord's Supper an ordinance because it was ordained by Christ. So why do we give ourselves to that? You know, because we need it. We tr- we're trusting that God's going to do it. So. Mm. Well, In the Narthex is a podcast of Northwest Bible Church in Tucson, Arizona. Um, and our goal of this podcast is to spiritually form our own people. But if you're listening in from somewhere else, we're really glad you're listening too. And if you have questions or comments or ideas for future podcasts, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at northwestbible.com.